Welcome to Abby and the Mustangs. This podcast connects Mustang lovers everywhere and sparks conversations in an effort to promote the adoptions of American Mustangs. I'm your host, Abby Condi. So welcome back to Abby and the Mustangs. I'm so excited for um, this episode. We're right going right back into the show. Um, this is the season opener, and I'm really excited because I have here with me uh, Kat Zimmerman from Florida, and she is going to go ahead and just introduce herself. Hey, I'm Kat Zimmerman. I run Suzy Mustangs, a Mustang nonprofit training facility rescue in Florida. Um, I'm 18 years old and I've been training Mustangs for five years now, I think. Um, and I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, thank you for um, for being on the call. And um, so how did you get into training the Mustangs? Um, I got into the Mustangs through the Extreme Mustang Makeover. Um, I had been on vacation in California in like 2014, I think, and I got put on a Mustang for a trail ride in Los Angeles. Um, and I saw the Freeze brand, the famous Freeze brand that we all love. Right. Um, I had no idea what it was. I'd never seen anything like it. So I had started asking about it and they started telling me about the horse that had gone through the Extreme Mustang Makeover program. Uh, so I got really nosy about it and looked it up when I got home. And there ended up being one up in the Northeast where I lived at the time several months later. So I signed up and I completely forgot about it until like <laughs> six months later when I got accepted. Um, and everything kind of happened really fast when I got my first Mustang and went through the whole Extreme Mustang Makeover program. And I haven't really looked back since. Right. So that first Mustang that you competed with in um, the Extreme Mustang Makeover, do you still have that Mustang? Yes. So she has not gone anywhere. I've had her for five years now, um, almost six. And her name's Machi. She is the coolest little Mustang. She has been my teacher and my guinea pig for all of it. Um, <laughs> she was my first horse I ever trained, let alone Mustang. So mm-hmm. I pretty much had to test like everything I had to teach her. Right. It was doing it on a whim, trying to figure out how I was supposed to do it. So she went through a lot, just me learning how to train horses. Um, and I do everything with her now. She travels with me and we perform all over the country and do all sorts of cool stuff together. Um, so she's pretty cool. She's not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, She's super cute too. Um, If you guys follow Kat on social media, what are your social media handles for all platforms? Uh, everything is CZ Mustangs. I try and keep it the same so it's easy. <laughs> right, perfect. Yeah, so if you guys go onto her social media and just scroll through all of her pictures, you'll see all of her personal Mustangs. You've got quite the collection, um, which <laughs> I think is really cool. I, I'm kind of the same way. I have like five personal horses, and I know that I don't need five, but it's just one of those things. It's like, how can you get rid of them? Um, but <laughs> <Yeah>. anyways, <laughs> um, but... Um, so when it comes to choosing horses and, um, because I know you do a lot of tip challenges and a lot of training, a lot of horses go through your place. Um, how do you go about choosing horses? Um, I guess, you know, just by, if you had a group of horses, what are you looking for? 
Right. Um, so it really depends on what I'm doing. For the most part, when I'm picking horses out, it's for the intentions to find them a home. Mm-hmm. Um, and finding Mustangs homes is always iffy. Um, people have really like strict requirements for everything. Yeah. And it's hard for them not to just blend in with the crowd. So I try and pick the flashier horses when I am looking for one to adopt out, whether it's through the tip program, um, a tip challenge, or just you know, those two, I guess. Um, I try and look for something that's a good height and is a little bit flashy, which is not my style at all. I always love looking for the underdogs that are super plain. So it's really tough for me to pick the flashy ones. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's really what I do look for and like good movement, good temperament. Um, as much as I love the small Mustangs that are plain, don't have many markings and the ones that no one would notice, Mm -hmm. kind of hard adopting those ones out. So I do try and look for the flashier ones. Um, just horses that are going to catch someone's eye and really draw them towards adopting a Mustang, I suppose. Yeah, I kind of have the same mindset, like when it comes to um, doing tip challenges, if it's a horse that I know I'm going to rehome, I try to think of the same thing, like which horse is going to sell, basically, because I mean, that's sadly, that's the reality of it, because, you know, people want what they want, and they're not just going to change their minds, you know, just because it's, you know, a Mustang, unfortunately, and my favorite thing (laughs) in the whole world is when I have adopters messaging me, and they're like, I'm looking for something 15 hands plus, and I'm like, oh, here we go again. (laughs) it's like oh grief all the animals I have over here are under 14 hands it's almost impossible but um but yeah so I totally get that um so when you are about to get them home say you I mean in whatever case if you're doing it for the tip program or a tip challenge and whatnot um how do you go about deciding if you want to halter a horse with a drag line or not halter a horse um what is your preference um, that's really tough because it's always changing. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, I really like doing each step myself. Um, I like getting them no halter and just going through it myself. I think the past several Mustangs I've done, I've just had them completely like nothing on them. Mm-hmm. Um, if I have a horse where I do have a really, really strict deadline and they seem like they might need the extra help, I'll put a halter on them. I don't do drag lines. Mm-hmm. Um, but I haven't done a halter on one in a long time. Um, so I think my preference has shifted a lot. In the beginning, when I was first getting to this, I really liked the idea of them being haltered because um, I kind of saw it as, you know, it sounds awful, but you were skipping that step. But I was a lot younger back then. Mm-hmm. Um, that make it a little bit easier for them, um, especially when you have, like, 90 days to train one and go compete. But now I'm at the point where I think I – really do prefer having to go through each step on my own, even if it's going to take a little bit longer. Um, So I would say now I I definitely like not having anything on them. Right. And I think too, um, experience has a lot to do with it. I feel like you have probably honed in on the skill of gentling them with, without the halter, without the drag line, um, you know, because you have done it so much and probably so repetitively that you, you know, some horses are similar, obviously they're all different, but you know, you can modify your training, however, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, so I, I definitely like to hear preferences. It's, I think it's very interesting to hear how people do different things. Um, I personally like to put 
with the halter and the drag line, but I have the worst memory. So the last couple of horses I've had, um, I have forgotten to even take a halter and drag. So they've come to me completely, um, you know, unhandled without the halter on. And so, but I think it's good because I, you know, I myself want to learn more and get a little bit better at, you know, gentling them down without the halter and drag, but but okay, well, cool. Um, so I know that you do like to leave the tags on though, right? Um, I have this really weird thing where I don't like taking the tags off unless I have a name for them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just somehow it turned into that. <laughs> it's like, I'll have a horse. If I haven't named them, that tag is not coming off. Um, my most recent Mustang, I'd had her for a week and I hadn't named her and she was more than ready to get her tag off. And I was waiting and I was just going back and forth between two names. And I got so irritated because I wouldn't let myself like mentally, I would not let myself go any further with her until I named her <laughs> tag off. So I was just like, I'm just going to take it off, and then I'm going to name her as it's coming off, because I'm so tired of not doing much of her. Um, I have no idea why I do that, but seriously, just as soon as they get a name, I'll take it off, because I kind of see it as, you know, that's the next chapter for them. Right. Uh, they're not known as that number anymore. They finally are known for a name, and they're, you know, going to start actually going through that process of becoming a gentle horse, I suppose. Um, so that's just like some weird thought process I have on it. <laughs> no, I think it's cool. I mean, I definitely can see the significance behind it. You know, they, yeah, they become their own, um, their own personality, their own, I don't want to say person, they're, they're a horse, but they become their own <laughs> horse, you know, in a way that it's their first step into domestication. Um, so yeah, that is really cool. I like, I like the idea that you have with that. I am so impatient. I name them the second I get them. Actually, that's not true. <laughs> I just picked out um, my tip challenge horse for the Sacramento tip challenge that we have coming up. And I have a picture of this horse and I cannot figure out what to name her. Um, so <laughs> it's, it's totally, totally hard sometimes. But um, so for people that are, you know, beginner adopters, what would your biggest piece of advice be, whether it pertains to picking a horse out or the training aspect of it? Um, I think the biggest thing that I usually suggest to people that are getting into it for the first time with the new wild horse um well, there's two things. The first thing that if you are active on social media, like say if you're going to go do a Mustang makeover competition for the first time, mm-hmm. so many people get wrapped up in following everyone else's progress and they are like, oh, I'm not as far as long, far along. Um, I'm not doing as much. And they start getting all this stress and they start putting all this pressure on the horse. Um, and it's just the biggest thing that these horses all have their own timeline. Mm-hmm. And it's so different than anything else with horses because their entire world is flipping upside down. Um, they're coming into, they're getting separated from everyone else. They're in a pen with you. You are trying to touch them and they're like, <laughs> what the heck is going on? This is not what my life has been like the past few years. Um, and it's so crazy for them and it's just a lot for them to go through that I think not putting pressure on them is so important. Um, just understanding that they all learn differently. They all take different amounts of time to get to certain points um as well as just you know actually I think that's it (laughs) (laughs) yeah no that's perfect advice um I definitely um agree with that because it is true I mean the worst thing you can do is rush them and then you know next thing you know you've set yourself and your horse back you know 10 steps when you were just trying to move one step forward but you rushed through it so Um, Yeah, that's great advice. Um, So moving on from that, I really wanted to talk more about kind of the Bureau of Land Management's um, 
gathering practices and just kind of ask from your experience, uh, maybe if you've interacted with the Bureau of Land Management employees or anything like that, um, what your thoughts were on, um, on I guess, gathering and the, the way that they're managing the wild horses right now. Right. Well, so I live on the East Coast, and the only way that I really get to interact with any of the Bureau of Land Management workers is through adoption events or pickup events. Um, and I've had nothing but good experience with them. Mm -hmm. They do an amazing job handling the horses, getting them through the chute, culturing them, sorting them out, like everything. They do a phenomenal job over here. Um, I don't have much experience with anyone over on the West Coast where all like the actual gathers are going on and everything. Mm -hmm. uh, but from everything that I tune into, because I want to be educated on all of it, um, I mean, I think everything that they do is good. It's there's obviously a few bad apples among every crowd. Yeah. Um, and there's certain things that are going to happen with these horses and just with anything in general that aren't going to go great. But it's just part of the process. You know, there's always something that could go wrong. And I think that kind of gets them a bad rep. Um but, I mean, as far as gathering the horses and everything that goes on, I mean, it is necessary, unfortunately. And it's one of those things you can't really bash because it is necessary for the sake of the horses. Um, and they go through a lot, you know, having to just handle all of that. Um, so I have a lot of respect for them and how they handle it. Um, I wish I had more hands-on experience with what goes on over there. I would love to, like, tune into a gather and watch and actually see what goes on behind the scenes. Um, just because you see so much show up on social media of um, all the anti-BLM people. And you see all the drama from them that they're bashing how everything's going on at the gathers. And it kind of puts, like, bad vibes in the whole thing. Yeah. Um, so I, I personally would just love to see a gather and see what goes on there. And I think it'd be amazing for other people to see food and really see what's going on. Yeah, definitely. And see the whole, you know, gather in its entirety, not just the five minutes where, you know, BLM is running the horses into the trap. I mean, I feel like that's the biggest thing here is people aren't seeing the bigger picture. Um, yeah. It's not like a black and white issue. It's definitely a lot of gray area and a lot of unknown because people don't go and seek out, you know, the proper information. And so I'm kind of hoping that with this podcast and with the information that I'm able to research and gather um, that people will be encouraged to do the same thing, you know, because because even myself, you know, when I first started out, I thought, okay, BLM, I almost had in the back of my mind, like, BLM can do no wrong. And not because, you know, I'm, you know, just trying to pick one side or the other, but obviously it is more personal for me because my family worked, you know, in the Bureau of Land Management. So obviously right. I don't want to think of, you know, oh my gosh, they're doing the worst thing ever. But, you know, there's, like you said, there's bad apples in every group. And I think that we need to look at the bigger picture of what's good for the horses and not just for the horses, but in the burrows as well. Um, but also the native species that live on our Western range lands that are going to be negatively affected um, from the horses being so overpopulated as well. So, um, yeah. And I also I feel like, you know, go ahead. <laughs> um, and I like totally agree with you on this. People are seeing that one moment in time where they're mm -hmm. getting rushed into the pens. Yeah. And they're not, like you're saying, they're not looking at that bigger picture. They're not looking at everything that's happening before that, the reasoning behind it. Like, they don't look at the horses and think, okay, these horses aren't surviving out here. It's, oh, their lives are, you know, completely changing, being taken away from them. Um, 
And I mean, obviously, no matter what you do, when you're taking wild horses and you're um, getting them into the pens, no matter how you go about it, there's going to be one or two horses that's going to do something stupid. Mm -hmm. It's just (laughs) part of it. And so people look at that and they think, oh, they're um, forcing these horses to hurt themselves and they're hurting them. Um, But it's just a matter of they need to be captured because they're not surviving out there. And it's better for them to be um, uh, gathered and put in the pens where they can get cared for and adopted out versus starving to death out in the wild. Um, so it's so much more complicated than people kind of look at it as. Um, I think that's why there's so much trouble with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if I remember correctly, um, don't you have a mare from Wheeler Pass that was a part of an emergency gather? Yes, I have a mare. I have a bunch of photos of her in the wild, like through each stage of her life. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, as a foal, as a yearling, right before she gets gathered, and this horse is skin and bones, emaciated, she looks awful, um, and all the other horses in her herd did as well, and they had an emergency gather, it was a really low-key gather, mm-hmm. uh, horses still died, because yeah. they literally had nothing to survive on out there, um, and I actually met a lady that was hands-on for that gather at an event with my horse a few years later, um, she worked for the BLM. And, like, this woman, like, cried when she, like, found out that I had a horse from that gather at that event that was alive and healthy and actually doing something. Um, And it just shows how much these BLM workers actually care about what's going on. It's not just something that they're doing because they're getting paid for. Like, they Mm -hmm. care as well. Yeah. Like, this woman, like, sobbed (laughs) over my horse that she's, like handled the gather um that horse made it out of there Uh, because those horses were in such awful shape and that's just kind of the reality of it now yeah yeah and it's very sad but um that's really cool that is very cool that you know you guys met up and stuff and I had actually because I have a mare as well that's from Wheeler Pass and whenever I had called about her I was like hey does anybody have any photos of her because you know we all go through it trying to find our horses out in the wild (laughs) um but unfortunately they didn't have any photos of her but I think she was also part of an emergency gather I think it was different um obviously than the one from yours because I don't think they were in the same herd but um yeah it's it's crazy I mean and I see photos all the time you know BLM will post them and these horses are starving out there they don't have any water um and it's not as simple as oh let's go plant some grass you can't do that um grass is not native to you know whatever area you're out there um you know managing you can't just plant plants because you want to feed horses it's not how (laughs) land management works at all it's like I said it's not black and white it is there's so much gray area um but I do think um that the boots on the ground and the BLM employees that are out there and doing the thing I mean they are very compassionate people and very hardworking, and I do think that they care about the horses from my experience and from hearing your experience too um so, so I just think that it takes a lot of people like you and me and other tip trainers and people that are going to be actually out there making a difference for these horses instead of just talking about it online. Um, so, so yeah. Okay. Well, I still have other questions, (laughs) so I guess we can move on to the next. Um, so I'm curious, what does, um, your year look like for you and your Mustangs? Do you have any big plans, any big events coming up? Um, well, I'm taking a year off from taking in client horses because I train full time. Mm-hmm. Um, I took a job over in Mississippi training horses. So I'm bringing three of my or two or three of my Mustangs with me and I'm moving out there um, about two weeks, actually. 
um, I'm moving all my Mustangs around to get them temporary homes, and I'm moving out there to train horses under someone else. Um, and I don't know how many events I'm really going to be able to get to because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, so many of these expos that I usually would go to are getting shut down. Um, so for the most part right now, my main thing is, you know, I got this new job. I'm going to go out there. I'll work with some of my own Mustangs. I'll swap them out, get some of my projects trained. Um, and then that's pretty much it for me right now. Um, I've kind of had to take into consideration COVID and most of my expos that I would go perform at or teach at just not happening this year. Right, which is really disappointing. It's too bad. I mean, with everything going on, um, I'm ready for things to be back to normal for sure. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, but I wanted to talk more about your personal Mustangs because I think, like I said before, we kind of brushed over, you know, how many you had. Um, but, um, I think it'd be cool to just kind of hear about, you know, their stories, where they came from, um, what your plans are with some of them. Uh, You don't have to talk about all of them, but maybe just some of your favorites. All right. That's fine. So I have a lot. I think I have eight Mustangs and then I have a mule on a thoroughbred and a BLM burrow, but those are not included in the whole Mustang thing. I guess. <laughs> um, so I have eight Mustangs. Two of them or three of them are horses that I have to find homes for in the future. Um, I have one that I've had since she was five months old and she's four years old now. And she's a gated Mustang, which is super cool to me. Oh, wow. Uh, so I'm going to try, well, I've started on her saddle. I'm going to get her sold in the future. She's a super cool little mare. Um, for the most part, most of the horses that I've kept, most of the Mustangs I've kept for myself, my long-term plan with them is to have them on my Liberty team um, and travel with me when I go to expos to perform mm-hmm. and teach. Yeah. Because the big thing that I do is I do Liberty performing with the bridalists and tricks and Liberty. Um, I put like freestyles together and do that. So right now I have two that travel with me and they work together at Liberty and um, I want to bring in my other ones, but they're a little bit young right now. I think they're all just turning three or four. So they still have that baby brain. Right. Um, but I think for about four or five of my horses, that's like the long-term goal for them is just to join my traveling team to perform. Um, and then the others I have homes lined up for or I'm planning to sell once they're a bit more trained. Um, but yeah, most of my Mustangs I've gotten for the Extreme Mustang Makeover or Tip Challenge program and I've kept them which is not good. I'm supposed to find them homes. I just keep them for myself. Um, <laughs> so most of them have come from that. I think there's only two in there that I um, got from the tip program. I kept for myself as well. And one I bought off the internet auction. Neat. And you guys also run a um, nonprofit rescue, right? Yes, we put together a 501c3 nonprofit Mustang Rescue in 2017. Um, and our main thing is um, taking in Mustangs that have wound up in bad situations mm-hmm. because I really do believe in getting the number of Mustangs down that are in government holding. But I also think it's important to help the ones that have or that are already a part of that number, but they just haven't wound up in good spots. Yeah. Um, because a lot of people are so focused on just helping the ones to get the number down mm-hmm. and they kind of like toss them to the side after that. Um, I really like helping the ones that are a part of that number and they just didn't end up in a good spot. So we take in rescues through that. Um, and we've started a sanctuary in the past year because we have had quite a few horses that have gone through trauma and just aren't really adoptable for um, the type of people that want to adopt them. Mm-hmm. They're one person horses. They don't trust easily. So they stay at our sanctuary and they're going to live out the rest of their days here. Um, so that's been three years now, I believe, almost four. 
Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. And it's so true. I mean, so many Mustangs fall through the cracks, you know, and um, I, I appreciate number one. I mean, you helping the ones that, you know, are, are out of holding, but just need a, a soft place to land. Um, so for people that are interested in, you know, maybe wanting to help or donate to your rescue, what are what are some options that they could, you know, be involved in your rescue? Okay, so we have a um, sponsoring program for our Mustangs. Um, our Facebook, like if we have CZ Mustangs Rescue and Sanctuary Group on Facebook, um, we post all about the rescues on the daily. But we have our sponsoring program, um, you know, once a month, or you can sponsor a month, you can sponsor three months or six months, I believe. Um, and it just kind of covers their basic care. Um, and you can kind of get personal updates on the horses. Um, just all sorts of stuff to sponsor them because we do have quite a bit of residents here now um we've got a lot end up here that we truly love and take care of but sponsors help with that and then of course just little donations here and there are always a big help but we mainly go through our facebook group um and then we also have a website which is just cz mustangs that has more information on donating or sponsoring the horses mm -hmm. and can people do you ever try to rehome any sanctuary horses or are they permanent permanent um at the rescue so any of the horses that are put into our sanctuary program, they're here forever. Mm -hmm. But we also just have rescue horses that come through that get put up for adoption. Okay. Um, I think we have two now that are eligible for adoption. They're just not officially ready, so we haven't shared them too much. Mm -hmm. But anyone can always just send us a message or email um, or just follow our group, and we share about which horses are available, um, which isn't usually a lot at a time. It's usually only in little groups, so we focus on them. Um, but we we do usually have at least one that's available for adoption. But everyone, if they're labeled as sanctuary, they're here forever. Okay, so there you guys go. If you are interested in helping um, out the CZ Mustangs rescue um, their nonprofit, this is all the information you need. And what was the page again that people can go to? Okay, it's the CZ Mustangs Rescue and Sanctuary Group. Cool. So um, that is, like I said, really neat. Um, and those horses are very lucky to have um, landed with you. Um, so I know that your mom, your mom is Sarah, right? Yes. Okay. So I, I know that I'm a part of the American Mustang Trainers Association group. Um, are you a board member on that uh, group? Um, I direct all like the youth program stuff that goes on, so anything with the youth I handle. But as far as the American Mustang Trainers Association, that's pretty much all her. Oh, okay. So I was gonna ask you for like a brief rundown if you if you you know knew um you know what the general overview of the association would be just for people to, if they're interested you know to go join the group and see what it's all about. Yeah, so the American Mustang Trainers Association is mainly an organization dedicated to helping the trainers out. Mm -hmm. um, there's all sorts of grants and programs available to help trainers. Um, say you go and adopt a like for a tip program, adopt a Mustang. I guess you're not adopting them. You're taking Mustangs out of holding for the tip program. You can get grants to help you cover your costs that happen during training those horses for adoption. Uh, if you go and rescue a Mustang and end up in a bad situation, we can help fundraise for it and get, I think put together grants for that as well. Um, so the main thing with it is just to help the trainers because um, there's so much out there to help the Mustangs. There's so many times that trainers get stuck in situations where they can't um, 
keep on helping because it's just it's a lot it's costly i mean helping these mustangs is costly mm-hmm. uh, and there's a lot of people that help so much with the horses but they kind of get stuck and they get in bad situations um so we try and help them with that because we firsthand know what it's like to be taking in mustangs through these training programs um and we know how much we have to put into it as the trainers so the american Mustang Trainer association is you know to help the trainers out in those situations Wow, that's wonderful. That's very, very cool. Um, especially with the grants. Yeah, I mean, it's horses are expensive. They eat a lot and they are, you know, um, they need a lot of maintenance. So um, that's really, really neat. Um, so when it comes to I wanted to kind of brush over like tip challenge questions, um, because I know that you are very seasoned in tip challenges and extreme musting makeovers. Um, and I had asked you before, you know, what is some, you know, big advice for beginner adopters. But I do think that advice definitely applies to if someone is doing a tip challenge as well, like especially a tip challenge, because you are on a hundred day timeline, um, not to rush your horses. But if there's any other piece of advice you would give to maybe be some first-time youth or first-time you know rookie adult competitors what would your advice be for a tip challenge right so if you're competing in one of these um, makeover challenges or competitions um, don't be afraid to ask for help when I first did it I was a little bit like on edge and scared to reach out to anyone for questions or opinions or help because I was all stuck on oh I want to do it myself and feel like I did it all on my own and there were a lot of moments where I got stuck there Uh, (laughs) as I went along I realized there's nothing wrong with asking for help there's a lot and a lot of knowledgeable Mustang trainers out there Mm -hmm. that are willing to give advice and pointers on everything Um, I know there's a lot now that are doing virtual lessons and just there's so much out there so that if you ever do get stuck you know you can go and ask for advice and then as well as, like I said, like just not rushing yourself or your horse when you have that time frame or feeling like you're behind. I mean, my eighth makeover horse, it took me two months to even feel like we were getting anywhere because she just did not trust me at all. In that last month, she completely flipped around and she ended up winning her division. Um, but those first two months were so tough and I constantly was feeling like we were not getting anywhere. But I didn't rush her and I didn't compare her training to any of the other horses because they're all individual. Mm-hmm. Um Take the time and you really just don't put too much pressure on yourself or the horse. You know, they have the breakthroughs and you just have to let it happen instead of forcing it to happen. Um, So I really think those are like the biggest things I try and emphasize on. Yeah, definitely. And I think what goes hand in hand with that is just to be really consistent and to spend, you know, the proper amount of time that, you know, is necessary for your horse to succeed. Um, A very good friend of mine, her favorite saying, and she always says it, and it's so true, is there's no substitute for time invested. And you can't expect, you know, if you go out once a week and spend time with your Mustang for it to make it to a competition in 100 days, like, it's just not going to happen. Like, (laughs) it is not going to happen. Repetition and consistency is going to get you farther than, you know, sitting back and wishing you had, you know. So um, now what would be your, like, if you could come up with a, a checklist for um, things that you want to have um, pretty solid by the time you get to a tip challenge, uh, what would that be? Um, I mean, obviously, you want your horse to have all those tip requirements of haltering and leading and picking up feet and trailering, um, but it's a lot more complicated, complicated than that when you go to compete. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, personally, I really like to make sure my horse moves at my shoulder um, they follow my body language. If I start to speed up my movement, I want them to mimic that. 
um, when my feet stop moving, yours stop too. The same thing with backing up or side passing. I want them to be really in tune with my body language um, and stay at my shoulder throughout all of it um, and just have a nice, soft, and responsive course in the halter. Um, and then I do lots and lots of desensitizing. I want to make sure my horses, before they go to a competition, are very quiet and they're, they've had all the scary, crazy stuff thrown at them. Um, so those are like the three main things that I kind of ensure for each horse. It's that they um, stay at my shoulder and, you know, they really pay attention to my body control and movement. Mm-hmm. Um, they're soft in the halter and then they're super desensitized. Um, I think those are really important um, as well as obviously all the tip requirements and whatnot. Yeah, definitely. And I also wanted to kind of say, like, for anybody who is interested in adopting or purchasing a Mustang, the animals that are available after tip challenges or extreme Mustang makeovers, more tip challenges than anything, if you're going to get an untrained horse or, you know, whatever, I would seriously consider getting an animal trained in a tip challenge because it's like all the work has basically been done for you. Um, Just because (laughs) a horse is already trained does not mean that you won't bond with it or you won't have a special connection. I feel like people get so wrapped up in the romance of, you know, starting a Mustang from, you know, the way beginning. But the reality is, is not everybody can do it. Um, So I don't know. If anybody is interested in getting a Mustang, just consider getting one that's already trained from, you know, a youth kid, you know, help support, you know, their hopes and dreams of finding, you know, a Mustang, (laughs) a home and, and stuff like that. So um, I don't know. Just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> and all, all the tip trainers do, or not tip trainers, the tip challenge trainers, they put so much work into these horses. Um, it's, it's insane. And when these horses are available for adoption, um, through the tip challenges, they're not usually started under saddle. So there's mm-hmm. still that, but they are so broke on the ground. It is insane. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think some of the easiest horses to start under saddle are horses that have gone through a tip challenge competition. Mm-hmm. Um, because they're just so quiet and they have everything they need to know already put in there. And just because they spent that three months being gentle and trained by that trainer does not mean they're not going to connect with you. Um, like you said, I think that's really, really important. It's, don't think that just because you didn't gentle them yourself that they're not going to bond with you. That's not how it works. Yeah, exactly. And um, it is so true. Yeah, they're so much easier, um, the horses that go through the tip challenges. Um, I've had two that I've been blessed to start under saddle from, you know, horses that I've trained and sold, and then they com- came back to me, and it's like they never left. You know, I'm like, wow, you're like the same horse when you trailered your butt out of here. I mean, it's <laughs> it's really amazing. Um, and they have so much more time to acclimate to people, and, um, I mean, you have that time to really mess with them, and they're not going to kick you in the head or hurt you seriously. Obviously, the risk is still there but um not as high so so yeah definitely um well those were all of the questions that i had um and that i wanted to cover and since you had mentioned before that asking questions is such a big thing i actually had a piece of training advice that i wanted to ask you from um some issues i've been having personally with one of my liberty mustangs um she is like really bad with how do I even explain it? I guess like almost clapping noises. If we're in like an indoor arena and there's a lot of clapping and it's kind of like almost overwhelming even for me to be listening to the noise, she loses her mind. Um, and I was just wondering if you had any advice for what I could do. Obviously, um, getting her out to more crowds would do her some good. But at home, I'm not really sure what I could do to supplement, you know, maybe desensitizing her to that. Right. Um 
so there's quite a few things I do to prep all my horses for the sound of an audience, um, loud music over the speakers. Um, I mean, obviously, hauling them around is really great. Any horse event that you can go to and just time at the trailer is always good for them because there's a lot of commotion that comes from that. But something that I do with all my horses is I get speakers, and I'll either put them in my arena or my round pen or just in the field where I'm working. Mm-hmm. Um, I love blasting music throughout every session. I'll go <laughs> YouTube, and I'll look up clapping noises, and I will just start playing them, like, right next to the speaker. Um and just get them used to that at home where they're comfortable and I'll add in some positive reinforcement with it. And I just really just, I use that to my advantage, having a speaker that can get really loud, bring the horse right next to it. They're going to hear literally all that clapping mm-hmm. um, and just get them exposed to that at home. And you can really train them around it versus just being thrown in a competition environment and having to deal with it there. Um, and it sounds so silly, but it helped all my horses so much. Um, yeah. I had, tip challenge horse that was super super freaky deaky like he was scared of everything and i was really nervous to go compete with him um because we were going to an arena that sat five thousand people i believe wow (laughs) Um, and i did all the speaker work and got him used to sounds and we made it to the top 10 freestyles and i literally think it was five thousand people and it was a sold out crowd um he did not care about them clapping at all and that's a really loud arena um and for such a spooky horse, that was yeah. really real for him. Um, and I just, I did all that work with the speakers at home. And I really do think that makes a difference, um, as well as hauling them around and tying them up at like barrel races where it's loud or it's any event where it's going to be a little bit loud. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I definitely um, will have to get really creative with it for sure with the speaker um, and working with because she just like totally flips the switch and she's like totally different. Um, Have you ever had like an experience with one of your performance Mustangs where they've like left you in the middle of a performance and then came back or anything like that? Yeah, um, (laughs) I think that with Liberty horses and Liberty trainers, that's just part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, even the professionals that I've talked to and met and dealt with, they'll say that their horses that are highly trained have their days where they're going to run off. I mean, because of their horses, mm-hmm. horses have minds of their own. Um, <laughs> I, it's the worst thing ever when they run away in, front of, in the middle of a performance. Um, I've had it happen a handful of times. Kind of happens like once every once every once in a while. Um, when we go places, and it's just one of those things where it's really good to put a good draw on your horse and a good comeback to you mm-hmm. because Liberty horse is running away. It's part of it. There's nothing on them. They're bound to do it. But if you have a good comeback to you, that's what's most important because if they run off, you want to be able to draw them back pretty soon um, and kind of just get a hold on that. So, and I think that's the biggest thing. Um, that's what I try and do. I try to make sure all my horses know to come back pretty quickly when I do them. Um, and that helps me a lot in those moments. Right. And you have a really cool um, YouTube channel where you have a lot of training videos, right? Slowly but surely I'm adding them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that's the same CZ Mustangs um, as the rest of your platforms. Yep. Okay, cool. Yeah. um, So if you were to like suggest any other Liberty trainers besides yourself, um, because you do have, I've seen a few of yours. I've seen some um, from Sam Van Fleet as well. um, Some cool Liberty videos. Who would you suggest if people are interested in learning um, to go and watch? Um, Mirka Prue and Luke Gingerich, I think that's how you say his name, um, and Hannah Catalino, those three are really professional trainers that have a lot of experience. Mm -hmm. Um, 
their programs are really developed and really cool to pay attention to. I think all three of them have groups, like membership groups. That's like $5 a month, I think. Um, and they have all sorts of training videos and they're extremely talented. Um, you know, they are doing it for a living, the liberty work. Um, and they just do an amazing job and they can do it with horses that are completely wild. And it's just amazing what they can do. Um, I really enjoy watching all of them work. Um, I really respect what they can do with a horse at Liberty. It's insane. Uh, so I think those three are some good Liberty trainers. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I agree with you with Actually, those exact three are who I would think of as well. Um, so <laughs> I love to watch uh, Hannah Catalino's videos. I think it's so cool how she can get, get them, you know, collected at Liberty. I mean, that's something that I've been kind of playing with and trying to figure out, um, just kind of watching her videos. And it's like crazy. I mean, they're like masters at it. Um, yeah, it's pretty insane. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, well, thank you so much again, Kat, for being on the podcast. Um, and I'm looking forward to this year and seeing um, what the Mustang community will, you know, have coming up and see how many horses we can hopefully, you know, place in homes um, and, you know, change. I feel like if you can just change the life of one horse, that's all that really matters. Um, so. Yeah, yeah, if anybody wants to contribute to helping the wild horse and burrow crisis, there is a number of different ways that you can help, whether it be adopting, whether it be donating, whether it just be you getting educated and knowing what you need to know in order to, you know, move forward with whatever your goals are um, when it comes to the Mustangs and, and horses in general. Um, so do you have any questions for me before we end this cap? I don't think so. I'm usually pretty bad at coming up with questions. <laughs> I'll think of it like two hours from right now. I no um, problem. But no. thank you for having me on here. I do appreciate it. It's pretty cool what you're doing with this. Oh, thank you. Yeah, of course. Um, any ending thoughts before we go? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> All right. No worries. Well, thank you so much, Kat. I hope you have a wonderful day. Um, and thank you, everybody who's listening. I, we will be back next week, same time um, on Friday. This episode is brought to you by Crossbow Equine Services. Kylie Bowen, owner, founder, and CEO of Crossbow Equine, is offering services to coach you in your equine business needs. As a trainer and equine entrepreneur herself, Kylie has the knowledge from learning through past mistakes as an early business owner and knows the equine industry from the inside out. Equine sales marketing, leveraging social media, and helping you develop your brand are just some of the things that she does best when it comes to serving you and your horses. For listeners of this podcast, Kylie is offering a free 15-minute consultation call. You can contact her by email at crossbowequinellc at aol.com. That's crossbowequinellc at aol.com with the subject line Mustang 20. To get in touch and book your free equine business consultation, email crossbowequinellc at aol.com. Thank you. And now a message from one of our sponsors. Shelby's Homemade Creations, 
I, Shelby, started this small business in hopes of having a fun hobby and turning my little dream of having a small business into reality. In my online store, I sell an array of soaps and are all natural, made from both glycerin and shea butter, based with essential oils, added for scent, and some health benefits. I do have a surprise coming this winter with a new base option. Candles are all made from all natural soy wax, and the scents are all essential oils to help put a natural scent in the home without burning harsh chemicals that are in other candles. Candle melts, these are my favorites. I start with a soy wax base and add in the essential oils for scent and then dye for fun colors. These are then poured into little cartons and ready for the forever homes to be melted. I use this product daily. My wax warmer always has a new scent in it. New to the shop are bath bombs. They are all natural, started from scratch, and scented with essential oils for a nice bath time aroma. Lastly, the newest addition to the shop is lip balms made from all natural beeswax. I start with melting the beeswax and then adding some coconut oil and essential oils, then letting them dry in either a tube or a tin, then they're off for their forever homes. There is something for everyone at www.shelbyshomemadecreations.com. There's a tons of scents ranging from sweet to savory, one to fit each and every person. Now, Shelby sent me some scents and some candle melts and by far my favorite ones have to be snickerdoodle and citrus paradise so head on over to www.shelbyshomemadecreations.com and find your scent and you will be pleased thank you so much if you're interested in adopting a mustang or burrow or are looking for resources please visit blm.gov programs and select the wild horse and burrow column to learn more if you are not in the position to adopt, please share this podcast with a friend and start a conversation. If you would like to donate to our Wild Horses and Burrows, please visit mustangheritagefoundation.org donate. Thanks for listening.